I think without gratitude, you end up focusing only on the negative. You end up focusing only on places where your life is lacking. From Interfaith Alliance, this is the State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in New York City. Happy Thanksgiving. One of the friendships I'm particularly grateful for is with Father Jim Martin, a prophetic voice within the Catholic Church. Jim's also a New York Times bestselling author, editor-at-large of America Magazine, and a consultant to the Vatican. On this week's show, we'll get into his new book, The Global Church Synod He Attended in Rome, and the importance of giving thanks, particularly when times are hard. We're growing the state of belief, building on our 17-year history by partnering with Religion News Service. And as part of the RNS family of podcasts, there's a next generation, the state of belief podcast I want to make sure you are subscribed to. So please visit stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. It would really help to have you subscribe and to tell the people you're close to about the conversations you are hearing. The State of Belief is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversations heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can keep this show on the air is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my guest. Father James Martin is a New York Times best-selling author, editor-at-large at America Magazine, and was appointed to the Catholic Church Secretariat of Communication by Pope Francis himself. Father Jim has just gotten back from Rome, where he attended the Church Synod, and he's got a new book out titled, Come Forth. The Promise of Jesus' Greatest Miracle. With all that you've got going on, Jim, I am grateful that you found time to join us for this Thanksgiving episode of The State of Belief. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, my my longtime friend. I never say old friend anymore because I got into trouble. <laughs> Good. I think we, That's we exactly found- right. How long have we known each other? Is it like 20 years or? I would say 20 years now. Uh, and um, and you're just getting younger. But you, I, I, <laughs> you, however, have just done so much good work in that time. I'm just so, so appreciative that you are my friend. And um, I, I wanted to congratulate you on this new book. I mean, there's Thanks. lots we're going to talk about, but I want to dive into this new book. It's called... Come forth the promise of Jesus's greatest miracle. For those of us, uh, the many uh, who are listeners who may not be may not be Christian or or may not um, know what you think is Jesus's greatest miracle, can you give us? Is it a spoiler to tell us what it is? Well, I say in the book. I say in the book. It's kind of unintentionally funny, as if there's this kind of competition you know, between miracles. You know, who's the best? Right. Right. Uh, yeah, so actually the cover kind of gives it away. Um, it's the raising of Lazarus, uh, which is yeah. a story that appears, as you know, obviously in the Gospel of John. And it is uh, Jesus is raising uh, his friend Lazarus from the dead. He raises uh, two other people in the Gospels, but this is really the one that a lot of people focus on in terms of uh, you know him bringing someone back to life. So it is... It is the raising of Lazarus. That's not too much of a spoiler alert, I hope. No, it's not a spoiler, but it is actually, it's it's one of the great stories in the gospel, not just because it's like, Shazam, now you're alive, but because there's such a major, like, there's so much surrounding story. And because in some ways, it's one of the best 
passages, you know, I'll say, you know, as a preacher in my other, you know, wearing that hat, like it's one of the best stories you can preach from. It's really is like one of the great stories. And, and, uh, you know, we can, I want to get into it, but it's also like, you know, it's, it's a story that has like a, um, a narrative, but it also just provides this incredible, um, narrative about, you know, every person in a way. Uh, so, so talk to me about, first of all, why this book, uh, what, what was the thing that was nagging at you? They were like, this is my next book. Yeah. Well, you know, as you say, it's such a great story. Uh, and it's a story, I believe, uh, it's sort of, I need to say that right out of the gate. Uh, when I was young, I saw this, this, uh, this may even be before your time, uh, the Franco Zeffirelli miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth, which was on in 1977. And that, and the story, the, the, sort of scene of the raising of Lazarus just blew me away. It was much more dramatic than the scene of uh, Jesus's resurrection, which was kind of off camera. And uh, that really stuck with me. You know, who is this guy that Jesus raises from the dead? Who are these two sisters? Uh, Jesus's sisters, for those who don't know, Martha and Mary are very blunt with Jesus. You should have been here, blah, blah, blah. And then about um, 10 years ago, I visited the actual place where people believe that it took place. Um, it's actually in Palestinian territory, a town called Al-Azardiyah, which means the place of Lazarus, believe it or not, uh, current day Bethany. And I went into the tomb and I just found it a really powerful experience of thinking about what I want to leave behind in the tomb. That's kind of the theme of the book. You know, what are the things that we're called to leave behind, to called to let die and move out into new life? And then I started leading pilgrimage just pilgrimages to this site and i found that people were really moved by this by this encounter this the place and with the story and i thought okay it's time for me to write something about it, it really has always been there are some there are more or less other there are two or three other stories that i like but this is kind of the top three gospel mm. stories so i thought you know time to write about it and i spent about five years on it and a lot of covid time um not that mm. i know but during the pandemic and so it was really great to kind of you know, dive deep into the story. Well, it's also, you know, the pandemic seems like an amazing time to do it, given that, you know, death surrounded so many of us and uh, people were grappling with that. Talk a little bit. I mean, I, 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 there, you know, Lazarus and Jesus, but Martha and Mary are really interesting stories. And, and by the way, I'll, I'll say many of you out there, I know are not um, Christians or like, you know, but, but this, this is, there's some, there's some, interesting characters in this story. This reads like a great um, saga. And so, you know, uh, talk a little bit about Martha and Mary, because I actually really, I identify them. It's like, hey, show up on time, God, show up on time, you know, like, where were you? And so talk a little bit about, and, and also the difference between them, because they're often pitted against each other as like, who's, who's the right way to do the thing? Yeah, you know, I love, I wish I had talked to you before the book, Show Up on Time, God is a great, that would be a great chapter <laughs> title. That's a great book title. Yeah. yeah. So for those who don't know, Martha and Mary are friends of Jesus's. They live in Bethany, which is outside Jerusalem. In Luke's gospel, Jesus goes to their house to hang out. And in one of the most uh, sort of, uh, I'd say, human scenes, uh, Martha complains that Mary isn't doing enough work and complains yeah. to Jesus and said, don't you care, which I love, don't you care that my sister, I'm doing all the work, tell her to help me. So super blunt, um, you know, she's seen as the more active one. Martha is the more contemplative, Mary is the more contemplative one because she's sitting at Jesus's feet, which is what prompts uh, Martha's complaint. 
And then in the story of Lazarus, one of the things I uh, say in the book is that the personalities are very similar because Martha is the one who rushes out to see Jesus first while Mary stays at home. So you get the sense of really their personalities. I think, you know, I'd be curious to know what you think about Martha and Mary, but they are pitted against one another. And a lot of times, unfortunately, people use the story to say, oh, because what Jesus says to Martha when she complains is, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. Mary has chosen the better part, i.e. sitting at my feet and listening to me. It's sometimes used as a kind of denigration of the active life, um, which I think is unfortunate. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, there's a time and a place for everything. And, right. you know, time to be active, time to be contemplative. So I, yeah. I really I really focus a lot of, uh, on Martha and Mary in the book and, you know, women's roles in scripture, the need to be honest with God in prayer um, and, you know, just people's frustration. But I'm curious, why do you like why do you like Martha and Mary? Well, I, I it's the same thing. I just think that they're like they both offer roles and, you know, I I. I get it. Like, I, I understand both of them. Like, you yeah. know, when I'm running around doing the work and someone's like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm just going to sit here and pray. You're like, oh, <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but then often we can be running around and be really active and not stopping and not like yeah. reflecting and like, why am I being active? What am I meant to be doing? What are, you know, and, um, you know, so I, I, I do think that they're both valuable and especially it's so easy to kind of like, you know, point fingers and say, especially yeah. to women and, and roles yes. that they're supposed to have. And, uh, and so, you know, I, 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 I sometimes like, uh, you know, preaching and saying, okay, Jesus, what did you really mean here? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the, you know, the, another one is like, the, you know, the, even the dogs, you know, and call it, oh, yeah. you know, when, you know, I mean, there's moments where you're like, okay, Jesus, let's break this down. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wrestle with you for a little bit. Um, but, but, you know, kind of pulling back the lens or maybe going deeper into the lens, looking at this story that you wrote this book, Come Forth, The Promise of Jesus' Greatest Miracle, which is about the story of Lazarus. I, you know, I think part of the reason this preaches so well is that people often, you know, there's so much suffering and so much loss and a sense, you know, I mean, I don't think we're all under delusion that all of a sudden, like the people we love who have died are going to be, you know, be risen. But all like, right. what can we, you know, what, what can we learn from this story that can help us live a life well, even when we have lost people? Um, uh, what are, what are some lessons that as you spent time with the text, what did you come away with? Well, I think a couple of things, I think for the Christian, I know not everybody's Christian, but for the Christian, the idea is that, uh, Jesus entered into this world where grief and loss and death and illness are a part of his life. Right. And so it's not for Christians. It's not like we have a God who doesn't understand us. Right. I mean, Jesus sort of understands this. He weeps at the tomb, whether out of frustration or anger or sadness. It's, I talk about that in the book. He accompanies the sisters. They're blunt with him. So it's an invitation to be blunt and honest with God in prayer. But I think, you know, for everybody, all believers, uh, I think that the real message of the story um, beyond, you know, Jesus having power over uh, death is that God invites us into new life every moment of our lives. And, and we are. Um, you know, metaphorically and by analogy, called to leave behind in our tombs whatever keeps us bound, right? I mean, what are the patterns or behaviors or even addictions that 
that really prevent me from living life fully and from moving out into the light. So that's that's mm. that's for me kind of the spiritual message of the book. Can you hear God saying to you, come forth, you know, leave behind your grave claws and all that and come out of the tomb? So right. um, so that that for me is the, the fundamental message of the story and the book. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it is a it's a wonderful story, and like one of the things I just want to say, like you, you are such a good um, illuminator of the text. I think it's actually the gift that you have given to the Catholic Christian world, is you go in and you like take these stories and just bring out, bring forth these great ideas for living, but also make it accessible. Like this is available to us for those who are in the Christian tradition and who are interested in Jesus. You know, you had that great book on Jesus. I like to call it as a smart book on Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and and then also about what was the book about um, laughter in the Bible, which I love. Yeah, um, uh, I had to think about it. Between Heaven and Mirth. Ah, that was such a good laughter. title. It's it's funny, Paul. I mean, one of the things I really do like to do is I like, you know, like yourself, I like good Bible commentaries. I have a couple, you know, about a million behind me. And I think, as you know, you know, when you read Bible commentaries, you think, my gosh, why didn't I know this before? And right. there's so many riches in here. And yet I, I think to, to, to try to sort of I guess what I'm saying is I think a lot of the Bible commentaries are already accessible. They're just not as well known. And so That's what right. I try to do is bring these out. Um, to the general reader to say, look, you you can kind of get these riches from biblical scholarship and from New Testament scholars that really help illuminate the story. And I love to make these things more well-known because as I said, I think they're pretty accessible. Like if, if you're a halfway intelligent person, you open up a Bible comment, you can understand what they're talking about. Yeah. You made it a little bit of catch up, but, but they're not as well-known. And so what I'm trying to do is is make some of the scholarship a little bit more well-known um, kind yeah. of in the general readership. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I was just at American Academy of Religion, which is oh, yeah, um, sure. in, in San Antonio, and I ran a workshop about making scholarship accessible. And you're a perfect example of that. And so so that that's marvelous. You also hold a very particular location within the Catholic Church. I mean, you just were at the church synod. And I know that some of that is behind closed doors and you can't be blabbing to me. But um, but what, what, what did you walk away with? Those of us who like read about it in the news and see it on social media or see it on TV, we're kind of like, okay, so what's going on over there? Yeah, Can you right. illuminate, first of all, what is the synod? How often yeah. it happens? Who gets invited? And, and what's the point? Yeah, so the synod is, a, I mean, as you know, an ancient form of church uh, governance and meeting. It was the, the earliest one was probably the Council of Jerusalem back in the Acts of the Apostle for anybody who says like, oh, this is brand new. And then, you know, pretty much all the early church councils were synods, you know, mainly bishops and all sorts of people. Um, in the Second Vatican Council, um, after the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI decided that there needed to be more kind of a consultative body to help the Pope. And then just recently, Pope Francis appointed what they called, I thought this was a great name. They were really calling us this non-bishops, uh, non-bishops. Oh. So that's oh. laymen. Did you, lay did you have like, did you have, <laughs> hi, my name is Father Martin, non-bishop. I yeah. mean, that, that would have been like, hello, my name is tags. Well, everybody, everybody did have these tags and it would say like excellency, eminence, you know, so you could tell who was a bishop and who wasn't. Um, <laughs> but, but so Pope Francis called this meeting um, in 2021 and basically it's to look at how the church governs itself. And so it was pretty dramatic and pretty revolutionary 
which is why there was so much pushback. And probably the most important uh, message from the Synod is the image of all of us in this great conference hall sitting around round tables discussing things, you know, more or less, I mean, as equals, you know, at your table would be cardinals, archbishops, bishops, as well as people like me, lay people, lay theologians, women. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty exciting. And, and you know, we were only at part one, uh, part two is coming next year, and then we'll sort of do a report to the Pope. But just the idea that people were discussing things that had been previously really off the table and kind Completely. of, yeah. And, you know, we talked about, uh, I can say this, we talked about women deacons, we talked about LGBTQ people, and it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty blunt. Uh, people were pretty blunt. And you had people who weren't ever heard at a, at a bishop's meeting, you know, women, for example, and they had votes too at the end. So it was, um, it was exciting. It was, uh, it was a little stressful, you know, because a lot of, you know, as you know, I do a lot of LGBT work. And so there was a lot of like focus on my responding or people coming up to me. And that was a little stressful. Um, but, you know, in the end, really helpful. It was also exhausting because we we met for the entire month of October, including on Saturdays, half days, full day of listening. And, you know, people really took it seriously when when you were at your table and, and someone was making a contribution, which was usually written because they want to take it seriously, you're really paying attention. So it was yeah. it was exciting. It was stressful and exhausting, but ultimately very hopeful. I mean, I think this is the way yeah. that someone said after this, you, you can't imagine a synod of bishops going back to not having lay people or not non bishops, as they were called, as we were called. Right. About the longevity. It was funny. I saw you post on social media. By the way, if you're not following Father Martin, he's a, he is a prolific on uh, social media. In this case, completely not a negative. I mean, it's completely a positive, accessible, offering, you know, really, really smart commentary. He does um, gospel lessons on, on, I think it's YouTube or Facebook, Facebook, I think. But so I saw you, t I saw you post like the first week and I was like, wow, that looks intense. It was. And then, was like, and, the, and, the, and then you posted the second week. I was like, oh, he's still there. That's weird. I thought this was like, <laughs> I thought it was like a three day thing. And then I was like, wait a second. Am I seeing old posts? Like I was like the third week and the fourth week. I was just like, oh my God. God. So, but you know, some of the headlines that came out were pretty dramatic as far as I saw. I mean, I don't know that they, maybe you can illuminate, but some of what I saw was really addressed directly trans people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So actually that came after the Senate and it was a big surprise. Uh, the new head of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is the kind of Vatican watchdog for theology, was uh, posed a it's called a a, a dubium like a, a doubt like a question basically what well, what should we do in this case and they came out very strongly in favor of baptizing transgender people having them serve as godparents having them serve as witnesses to weddings now some people would say oh well you know that was happening you know in other places already actually no it wasn't and in a lot of places there was a lot of pushback and a lot of restrictions so that came out in the wake of the synod, but even during the synod, um, we talked a lot about LGBT stuff. It was it was pretty, um, I would say it was pretty contentious um, mm. and not people like, you know, beating each other up. But look, I mean, as you know, Paul, um, there are very different views about LGBTQ people in sub-Saharan Africa, in Eastern Europe, in Latin America. And I think one of the, the most positive things was I think this was the first time that this was really discussed in a 
universal church-wide meeting so honestly. Uh, mm. And, you know, I had an opportunity to speak with people who, you know, really, I would say, really strongly disagreed with me and be cordial and to say, hey, this is what this is where I'm coming from. And let me hear where you're coming from. And it's a start. You know, the start is to build friendships that one of the best. I don't know if you've ever heard this line from uh, St. John Paul II. I'd never heard this until the Synod. And I thought, boy, that's pretty brilliant. He said affective collegiality precedes effective collegiality, which I thought was brilliant. So the affect to the friendship and that that has to precede, you know, the the effective, you know, the kind of coming to consensus and things like that. So so a good yeah. part of the a good part of the synod was this was this friendship building, which was, you know, uh, Timothy Radcliffe, who was the uh, Dominican spiritual master who uh, did our retreat, said, look, this is not going to make headlines like I made a friend with so and so. But it's really important, as you know. I mean, from no, it's, this is absolutely the way people change is that you you meet people who have different points of view. You begin to view them not as demonic or completely different than you, but people who are different, but still people in their full humanity. And I would say to anyone who says that a headline saying transgender people can be godparents and, and be baptized and, uh, you know, even if that was already happening, the fact that it was a pronouncement from the Vatican, it seems like once you start allowing that, then you're allowing the, for the full humanity of those people in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the community. And so yeah. if, the, if you view them as, as potential godparents, don't you view them as having spiritual gifts to potentially Absolutely. give the child? Yeah, that they're that they're people um, and that they're, you know, they're part of the church, that they're Catholics, you know. Another story that came out, very interesting, uh, just yesterday, a long story, which had been known. We reported this on Outreach, which is a, a website we run for LGBTQ Catholics, that Pope Francis meets regularly with transgender people uh, hmm. at, his, at, his, month, at his, his weekly or monthly audiences. I think they meet monthly. And uh, that's, a, that's a big deal. And so his, his just sort of meeting these people uh, is, is a real sign, as you say, of their dignity. Now, you know, at the Synod, uh, there was, you know, quite a bit of pushback on that um, from, from different places, different bishops, different locales, different different everybody, because in a lot of places, as you probably know, uh, LGBTQ stuff is seen as an ideology. Uh, it's seen as colonialism. And, you know, I had to listen to that. I mean, I, in other words, I wanted to listen to that and to hear, like, where they're coming from. And by, by the same token... I wanted to bring stories into the synod of individuals, right? Like of, of people. Um, so right. it was a, it was really pretty intense. Intense is a good word. I haven't used that. I kept saying exhausting, but I'll use the word intense. Uh, it's yeah. it was very intense. And for yeah, four I, weeks, it, it, it can be both. Up next, more with Father Jim Martin. If you miss any part of today's program, you can hear full episodes of The State of Belief anytime on our website at stateofbelief.com. And make sure you subscribe to the Next Generation Podcast at stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. That's stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. You're listening to The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet.
so this is a little fanboy, but what's Pope Francis like? <laughs> as much as you could say, I mean, you know, I, but I do see, you know, you've met him not once now. You've, you, yeah. Can I say your besties? Is that okay? Uh, I don't know if I say besties, <laughs> but um, he, you know, the nice thing is he does know me. So now when I go up to him, he's like, oh, so I met with him for about 45 minutes to an hour before the Synod began. And I can say we talked about LGBTQ things, among other things. I'll say he's just, I know this sounds banal, but he's very kind. He's a lot of fun. He's very funny. He's very jovial. And he's really on the ball, too. I think that's one thing that people might not get. Because a lot of times when you see him, you know, he's presiding or he looks like, he looks very kind of downcast. or That's kind of his liturgy face, his mass face. In person, he is like, he knows exactly uh-huh. what's going on. Like uh-huh. he, it's oh, that's like interesting. Sometimes I think people think that he's just this kind of, well, you know, keep it up. No, I mean, he really he knows. He's, he's on just it. What, he's on it. He knows the people. He knows what he's done. He knows what he said. He knows he knows exactly what's going on. And he was a really a valued presence in the Senate. He would be there, I would say, most days, maybe every other day. And one of the things I thought was funny was when you would walk into this hall, it's called the Aula. The Aula, I guess, is is Italian for hall. A huge place, you know, we had 35 tables with 12 people apiece. Sometimes he would be there just at the head table, by the way, sitting around a round table like everybody else, not running the meeting. And he'd be just be talking to people. People would come up and say hello. And I found it really charming, you know, and yeah. he was one of the things I like about him. I was saying this last night in at, at mass uh, with some friends. He's always like focus on the person. It's not like, oh, my gosh, I'm so I, I think if that were me and I'd have you know, endless 10 years of constantly meeting people, I'd be like, you know, give me a break. He's always engaged and laughing and funny. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story that happened that gives you an insight. If you don't mind, this is kind of funny. No, I'd Um, love to hear it. I think I can tell this. I don't think it's secret or anything. So one day into the hall towards the end, a sister, an elderly sister who was a delegate um, came in with a huge black eye, huge, huge shiner and bandage and she just looked terrible. And of course, everybody went up to her and it turned out what happened was some random guy came up on the street and punched her in the face. Wow. She, you know, she's like this 75, 80 year old sister. And, you know, I, you know, it was just really unusual. So there's a big hall and of course there's a crowd around her and you could see, it was interesting seeing almost physically the news make its way up to the head table as people were pointing uh-huh. in. And so the head of the synod, Cardinal Grech, who's super nice, sees this and someone comes up and he's listening and he says to the Pope, you could see this happening, saying to the Pope and the Pope looks and calls her up, you know, calls her up to the head table in front of everybody. You know, this is sort of before everything starts, gives her a huge, everybody claps. It was actually very moving. I mean, you know, he's uh, come up, yeah. you know, like I want gives her a huge hug. And then says something and she bursts out laughing. She throws her head back laughing. And oh. I said, to, I, as you, you know, you as a journalist too, I said to myself, oh, I, I, I want to find out. What you need, happened. you need to know what happened. You need to know what was said. Absolutely. So the, next day, the next day she comes in, she's lovely and very, let me tell you, she'd be a lot, she's a lot more relaxed than I would be if I were punched in the face in Rome. So I said, you know, sister, how are you doing? A lot better. I feel a lot better. I was a little, you know, um, sort of traumatized, but now I feel a lot better. My eyes. Okay. 
And I said, can I ask you something? What did the Pope say to you? And now here's the thing, Paul, you would expect someone to say like, oh, you know, I'm with you in prayer or yes, whatever. Yes, and he's, yes. he said, if you want, I'll give you another one to even it out. No, no. Oh, my God. No. That was, is so funny. Yeah. And you know, you know she, I mean, she laughed. She laughed. It, yeah. just made, it just made light of things. And yeah. I just thought that's great. It's just so human. It's he knew so exactly human. what to say to make her laugh. And she loved it. And yeah. and I just yeah. thought that was great. Oh so that's, my God. So that's who he is. He's just yeah. very, he's funny. He's relaxed. Yeah. He's himself. Yeah. He's playful. Uh, and, right. you know, he's with, he's with it. That's he's a pretty, with it. Yeah, and he knew her. I mean, he also knew her too, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that is that's a fantastic story. Um, you know, one of the things that actually has been interesting to watch as an outsider has been how Pope Francis has engaged in American Catholicism, and you know, it, it is he has an opinion, which he's oh, yeah. made clear through yeah. some of his actions. And, you know, I don't know how much you can speak about it, but it's just interesting for him to be kind of observing this and, um, you know, saying people who are claiming the mantle of Catholics, and I think they authentically are, you know, claiming their, their faith in a way, but they're using it in such a way that feels to him like it's not following the way that the Catholic Church should be moving. I don't know if you can comment on that or if you've of course. been watching it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I think two things happened that were really notable. One is he he came out and said, oftentimes he has these in-flight press conferences uh, when he's going on a papal trip. And the, the Vatican journalists always laugh that the real news comes <laughs> on the plane when he says all these things. And uh, he was asked about... Um, you know, U.S. Catholics and and some of the opposition in the in the U.S. Church, which is I would say small but vocal and pretty strong and pretty fierce. And he said, "Look, this is this is kind of a well-funded machine, and it's organized, and I don't agree with it." And he he called out these kind of right-wing Catholics, and it was pretty dramatic uh, for him to say that so bluntly. And then I think even more dramatically. Um, the papal ambassador to the United States called the nuncio, um, uh, Cardinal uh, Christophe Pierre, who was just made a cardinal, said at the U.S. Bishops Conference meeting um, the same thing. You know, uh, basically, there's a critique of of some U.S. clergy and hierarchy who are opposing the pope. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean just, you know, I disagree with the pope. It means some really sort of strong opposition. And uh, recently... The Pope removed a bishop named Bishop uh, Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, who had said essentially, you know, that the Pope was going against Catholicism, right? And so even the Pope has his limits. Uh, but he understands in the United States that there is this kind of very strong, very vocal opposition to him um, that is also often linked with kind of politics, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. So it's against being in favor of the in favor of the refugee and the migrant. Uh, in favor of sort of combating climate change, in favor of really focusing on the poor. And some people, as we know politically, you don't have to be a Catholic to know this, some people don't like to hear that. And there are some people in the U.S. who don't like to hear some of those messages from Pope Francis. Right, 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 right. And yet, if you look at his encyclicas and all of that, like they just, they, you know, that's the, that's, you know, part of what he's been really focused on as well as, yeah. as, well, and, as, you know, as well as efforts towards peace. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, Laudato Si, probably his 
biggest encyclical on climate change, you know, I always like to remind people that's an encyclical. That's a pretty high level of teaching. And to just say that's baloney and I'm not going to look at it. Okay, you might have problems with it. You might disagree with certain aspects, but to just throw it out or to say he has no authority or some people say he's not really the pope, you know, and, and I can ignore him. It's it's pretty dramatic. And this has only happened under Francis, uh, you know, under John Paul and Benedict. I don't think anyone would dare to say these kinds of things. Right. Um, and also Francis is really shaking things up. And he, he I mean, as you know, he he likes to do that. Even the Synod, you would think people gathering together to talk about the future of the church um, together and looking at the Holy, how the Holy Spirit is operating would be something everybody would welcome. No, it wasn't. And people no. are opposed to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, the old saying is the Pope Catholic. I mean, they're like, they're actually bringing that up as like, not as a joke, but as, you know, as a, as a bludgeon and as a, um, an excuse to, and, and I will say, you know, you've experienced kind of the, the yeah. wrath of, um, of this movement. And I just, you know, I watch that and I hope you, I hope you feel my support. I don't, you know, I don't I know do. what else I can do, but I really, no, I do. you know, there's so many of us out there who are watching it and, uh, and, and saying, God, thank God for Father Martin, who's out there speaking about LGBTQ issues, also being in community with LGBTQ people and, and, uh, and and giving in some ways offering uh, offering that community a voice within the church and so, you know you you know recently you spoke at Georgetown and there were just people who showed up to protest and offered horrible horrible uh, signs and then you know gratifyingly there's like a you know others all of a sudden hear about it and they go out there and like are saying actually no we you know here at Georgetown, we actually welcome yeah. uh, Father Martin. So, I mean, but th this is something that you deal with all the time. Yeah, pretty much every day. And, you know, it's funny, Paul, because you've been with me, you know, since the beginning of all this. It was it's kind of shocking. I mean, I'm used to it now, but, you know, I can see like, you know, if I disagree, I we're on the same page about almost everything. I think if I ever disagree with something that Paul Rauschenbusch would say, I might say I might write to you or I might even on social media say, hey, I'm not sure about this or what do you mean by this? <laughs> I wouldn't say, you know, you're going to hell, you're a heretic, you disgust me, you. And that's the part that I just am still surprised by. Um, yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, look, maybe we shouldn't be surprised because, look, even in the United States and even among intelligent people, there's still a lot of homophobia. And, yeah. you know, that doesn't mean and, you know, you know that. That doesn't mean that everyone who disagrees with me is a homophobe, which is one of the critiques I often get. Oh, you think everyone who disagrees with you is a homophobe? No, not necessarily. But there is a lot of homophobia and there are some homophobes out there and it can be pretty ugly. I mean, the kinds yeah. of stuff that I get on social media, the kinds of things that I get sometimes in person, it's it's pretty ugly. And to, to get back to what you said earlier, a lot of it's just about ignorance and not knowing these people and just not understanding them and you know we there's a term in theology invincible ignorance i mean if you don't ever want to learn about it then you're going to mm. be stuck in that kind of hatred oh my god invincible ignorance please have that be your next book that's like the <laughs> perfect next book um can i tell you a funny story i so one of the things you will appreciate is what jesus actually says uh to lazarus is is come out Right. So duro exo in the Greek is come out. That That's the simplest translation. Duro exo. Ex, he, he casts out demon. The exo is 
Exodus is a road out, right? But I said to my publisher, given my LGBT work, if I call this book, come out. <laughs> that, is yeah. that is amazing. That so is amazing. But you know yeah. what? That is like, that's actually great because it's like, le le leave behind all that shackles you, be who you are, be, exactly right. and embrace life. Yep. So I talk, I talk about the book, uh, in the book, a little bit about what it means for the LGBTQ community, but, but that's what he actually says. Doro Exo has come out, uh, come forth as a little more British, a little more, you know, kind of formal, but that's what Jesus says to Lazarus. Um, and uh, it's, it's really powerful for LGBTQ people to hear that. I love that. Thank you. Listen, I want to make sure that we turn to um, a little bit of the the reason for the season. We're in uh, Thanksgiving time, and and you you know, there is so much terrible stuff going on in the world. I mean, I know you're weighed down by what's happening in the Middle East, as am I, and trying to hold on to some vision of peace. And then we have so much division, so much um, terrible stuff happening in our country as well. Um, but, you know, if, if it's possible in the face of all of that, what is the, how do you understand the role of gratitude in the spiritual life? Yeah, I mean, I think it's essential. Uh, it's hard to do when you're, you know, I mean, I think of someone in Gaza right now or anywhere in the Middle East, um, you know, to tell, to, to tell someone to be grateful. Um, but in my own life, you know, even in difficult times, it's essential to kind of look for the signs of God's presence. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, wh where is God active? Where are there kind of sparks of hope? Um, where are there places where there is light, right? Um, and so I think without gratitude, um, you know, you end up you end up focusing only on the negative. You end up focusing only on places where your life is lacking. And you tend to compare yourself with other people's lives. We have an expression in the Jesuits, compare and despair. Uh, and gratitude, I think, grounds us first and, you know, where God is and helps us to really move on with life. Because if you're only focusing on the negative, you you can't move on. Hmm. I mean, I think St. Ignatius said uh, ingratitude is the worst of all sins hmm. because it, it really denies where God is. I'll tell you a story. Um, a couple of years ago, there was some I don't even remember what it was. Some something bad was happening in my life. And I said to my spiritual director, my spiritual director said, are you being honest with God in prayer? And I said, I always am honest with God. I'm complaining about this. I'm complaining about that. And he said, but are you looking at the good stuff too? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I thought this was really interesting. He said, you're actually not being honest with God if you're only focusing on the negative stuff. Honesty mm -hmm. would be looking at the whole picture. I thought that was, I've never forgotten that, that, that you can be upset about whatever, illness, war, I mean, all sorts of things. But, you know, to, to look at also where God is, I think is really important to, to be honest with God in that way. Uh -huh. um, so it's, it's gratitude's essential. It's just, yeah. it's just essential. Yeah. I, I, I wrote a piece a long, a while ago called like how to, how to give thanks when there's nothing to be thankful for. And yeah. like, you know, it, you know, part of the, I, the litany of this, I give thanks for this, I give thanks for this, I give thanks for this. And if, when those things are taken away, when health is taken yeah. away, with, when your loved ones are taken away, when it, and in some ways, like gratitude is, you know, the, what, the, what I resolved at is gratitude is just insisting that there's a yes to life. Yeah, I mean, there's always something. 
Do you have one friend? Do you have one family member that, yeah. that you're grateful for? Uh, and you're, you're grateful. just, you're alive. You're still alive. Just the fact of your existence and allowing for the fact that um, while you're still alive, finding that as uh, honestly as its own reason for gratitude. And um, yeah, you know, I, and I think it, it enables you to go on. Like, I mean, I'm thinking in the midst of all this difficulty now, it enables you to continue to work for peace, to continue to build on friendships, um, to continue to hope, right? Yeah. And and so it's it's essential. It's essential. Yeah. yeah. Do do you have a place that you go uh, for Thanksgiving, or do you sit around with your um, brothers in the Jesuits? Uh, what do you, what do you like to do for Thanksgiving? Well, it's funny you should ask. Um, I usually go home to my family in Philadelphia, but. Everybody has COVID. Um, oh wow! So I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm 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 actually just just this morning I was trying to figure out where I'm going to go. So I might stay home with my Jesuit brothers. Um, I might go home to a very small dinner, but not a not a big not a big Thanksgiving this year at the, on the oh, Martin yeah. family. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, well, before I let you go, I do want to say what's been interesting in my life over the last like four months is all of the people I meet who have met you in various ways. And I'm specifically thinking of two actors who I met separately who were in a play about um, Judas Iscariot. Judas, the, the last days of Judas Iscariot, yep. Yeah, and two different um, actors I met in two different places who both were just like Father Jim Martin was such an important presence on that set and they've never forgotten it. So I am curious because you have this, you 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 have a, an ability to engage not just in kind of traditional spirituality, but also recognizing the power of other avenues for people to in, find meaning, find uh, value and, and find spirit. Yeah, I mean, that was a lot of fun. I actually wrote a book about it called A Jesuit Off-Broadway. <laughs> right, and, which uh, is amazing. Thanks. And um, yeah, I think, you know, part of it is, I mean, you know me, Paul, and I think you're very much the same way. Like, you know, we didn't grow up, you know, you weren't Reverend Paul Rauschenbusch when you came out of the womb, right? And I wasn't Father Jim Martin when I came out of the womb. So we both had lives and we both know how to deal with people who are not in an encounter, people who are not in religious settings. I mean, I'm actually, you know, I, I came to religion kind of late in my life. And so... You know, I worked for GE. I knew people. And so it's easy for me to kind of, um, you know, interact with people from all different walks of life. I have to say, I found the the theater community fascinating. I mean, I knew uh -huh. zero about the theater community. I talk about that in the book. And I'll tell you a funny story. I knew so little <laughs> that I would say things like. Um, so it was it was it's a play by Stephen Adley Giergis, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright called um, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot that was put on. The director was Philip Seymour Hoffman, who has sadly left us. Um, and all sorts of people were in it, Sam Rockwell, Eric Bogosian, all, all sorts of people, fun people. Uh, anyway, long story short, um, I knew very little about theater. Like I was in like one play in high school. So I'd say things like, one of the practices, and they'd be like, oh, you mean rehearsal? <laughs> and I'd say, when, when, is, uh, when, is it, when does it start? And they're like, you mean opening night? <laughs> so, 
So what I try to do is is to help them understand the story of uh, Judas. Jude, it was about Judas's betrayal. And I found a fat. So, you know, I learned about them and they learned about me and it was we're still friends. Um, and I, yeah. I was made a, a, a member of this uh, labyrinth theater company eventually. And it, it was fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do think like, you know, for me, the theater, music, pop music uh, and um film are there just like these kinds of expressions i'm very i was always very very interested in how they how they share spiritual um messages and you know kind of in surprising ways like you know david bowie for me was such a main figure and then he has this song called somebody up there likes me and i was always just like why do i love this song so much you know and it, and it was like you know it's because it like it, it's it, it was a, it was my way of connecting with a spiritual idea um when i when it wasn't at all connected with the church well and also by the way his last song was on about lazarus it was about it was a Lazarus theme song. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. It's it's full quite a, circle. Yeah. It's quite a it's quite a strong, quite a strong story. Um, you know, it's funny. I'll say one thing that I like about being with people who are not in the religion world, like in theater or the arts. I think one of the things that 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 I find refreshing for me is that they know that I have no ulterior motive like i don't want to be in their play i don't want to take over i don't want to you know write a play or act in it so i think they're relaxed around me and i'm relaxed around them same with you know people in other walks of life and i think they can kind of be themselves with me because they know i'm the, there's no competition and there's no you know i'm not going to be like if i, I met some know. sports if i met some sports star i've met i've met a couple people and they know that i'm you know i'm not I'm not angling for a job or anything. So. So oh, but what you don't know, what you don't know is that they're they're the up and coming Jesuit who's going to knock you off your That's pedestal, right. Right. Well, Reverend be, Martin. That's right. be afraid. Be afraid. <laughs> Brother Jim, thank you so much for being on the State of Belief and being such a great friend and um, such a great presence in the world. Congratulations on your book, Come Forth. And um, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Always a delight. Thanks for your friendship and your support for all these, gosh, 20 years. It obviously started when you were about 10 years old. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm really grateful. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your whole family. Thank you. I want to take a moment to say to you, all of the State of Belief listeners, how grateful I am for you and for your participation in this project. I also... I'm feeling a lot of gratitude towards all of the partners that Interfaith Alliance and all of our affiliates work with. I have been around the country so much in this past year and have seen remarkable people standing up, speaking up for a sense of equality, a sense of freedom, a sense of love, of justice, and speaking out for our democracy, which right now is at such risk. I also want to say a personal word. Uh, my father died at the age of 95 just last week. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for his life, for all that he was able to see, accomplish, and be, and for the family, and for the wonderful life he gave myself and my three siblings. And I just, you know, it, it's always sad when a family member passes, but this was um, not particularly sad in the sense of the fullness of it. And I'm just so grateful 
that we were able to be with him all the way through it and uh, grateful for his life. And so I, I definitely want to say that. And I just want to send my fondest wishes to all of you and I, my prayer that all of you will um, find something to feel grateful for in this time. And, and, and I, I recognized what a heavy and difficult time this is for our entire world. And, and I just want to give thanks for all of those who are trying to continue to forge relationships that will lead to peace, forge relationships that will lead to communities feeling tighter and responsible to one another. I'm just grateful for all of those who can help, who are looking for ways to help in this difficult time. So thank you to all of you, and I hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving. And that's all the time we have for the State of Belief this week. Be sure to subscribe to the new and improved podcast called The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform or at stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. Subscribe to The State of Belief today. We need your help keeping The State of Belief going. I hope you'll consider being a partner in this crucial work by making a financial contribution today. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. And if you're getting something out of this show, which I assume you are, share it with your friends and family. Let's get more people listening and keep these conversations going when the show is over. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at State of Belief and share State of Belief with the people in your networks. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Religion News Service or Religion News Foundation. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch on the State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet.